Welcome to Private Club Radio, the industry's first and only program dedicated to education, news, events, trends and announcements. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Alan Akats joins me today. He's a former club manager and he is a crisis management expert. And it's a fascinating conversation that we have talking about what to do when something big goes down at your club. Do you have a plan for an active shooter at your club? How about a tornado hitting or a hurricane? Are you prepared for a chemical spill? All these types of things we're going to discuss in detail today with Alan, and he's going to give us his thoughts on what your club should be prepared for. Well, as many of you know, I am fresh back from the Asia Pacific Gulf Summit. I had a wonderful time out there in Asia. Mike Sebastian and his folks from the Asia Pacific Gulf Group put on a wonderful conference. Got to spend some time with Greg Patterson, who is the MC. Dr. Ken Chu, who is the billionaire owner of Mission Hills in China. And just some other really interesting folks. Really enjoyed my time out there. Did some sightseeing. I took my wife and we got to see some of the wonderful sights in and around Bangkok. The Royal Palace, for one, is just something spectacular. I think it should be on everyone's bucket list. One of the most incredible sights that you could possibly ever see. It's definitely in my top three. I think Machu Picchu is probably my number one place that I've ever visited. And this is probably number two, the Royal Palace in Bangkok. Just incredible, the detail that goes into the buildings. If you look at them, they're made out of glass and jewels on the outside and painted gold and all sorts of interesting imagery. Everything's hand done and it's just a spectacle to behold, that's for sure. The conference also put on a golf tournament, so I got to play one of the best courses in Asia. It's called Black Mountain and it was just as spectacular as the photos and the website shows. I was really happy. It was actually my birthday and, uh, the first three holes I started out par, par, par. So I was really happy about that. Ended up shooting 87, which for me was a decent day being in a new country (laughs) in a completely different time zone. I was pretty happy with that. I'm a 12 handicapper. So I felt pretty good about that score. Everything about that conference from beginning to end was really first class. I just have one reminder for you before we get into today's guest. On January 4th, we will be having the Private Club Radio Quarter One webinar, and it's going to be hosted by Michael Crandall. The theme of the webinar is how to keep a successful club and career on track. And Michael will be sharing from his many years of experience as the general manager of Thunderbird, as well as Exmoor Country Club. He's currently the interim general manager over at Mission Hills in Kansas City, a different Mission Hills. (laughs) And Michael's got a lot to deliver. You're going to learn 18 quick concepts on how to remain relevant in today's club world. You'll find out the number one reason for unplanned general manager turnover, the number one reason club operations fail to meet expectations, and much, much more. Check out privateclubradio.com slash webinar to read all about it, get the details, and sign up 
for the January 4th webinar. Hope to see you there. Mr. Alan Akats will join us right after these messages. Our webinar series resumes January the 4th with special guest Michael Crandall. Visit privateclubradio.com slash education to register today. Hello there. I have a question for you. How impressed are members with the cleanliness of your club? To attract new members and keep current ones happy, your club must provide the best cleaning and maintenance service possible. Elegance Cleaning Service specializes in country club cleaning. We'll create a custom cleaning program where members can see and actually feel the difference. Don't accept par for the course at your club. Visit clubelegance.net and step up your cleaning game today. It's my pleasure to welcome Alan Akat, a former club manager who started working at a country club at the age of 15. In his 25 plus years working in private clubs, city, country, and yacht clubs, he worked in virtually all club departments from dishwasher all the way up to general manager. Alan's a strong advocate of education and has obtained the Certified Club Manager and Certified Hospitality Educator designations. In 1997, he left the day-to-day club management duties and started his own business as a safety consultant. He's an OSHA general industry outreach trainer. In addition to providing education sessions, Alan conducts simulated OSHA site tours where he identifies hazards and assists with OSHA compliance issues. He also helps clubs develop their emergency action plans and delve into crisis management concerns. Alan is a prolific writer and has over 100 articles published in various club trade magazines and has also written a book for CMAA titled Embracing Safety at Your Club. Alan, welcome to Private Club Radio. Gabe, thank you very much. This is a subject that is new ground for this show, so I'm really excited to talk to our listeners about it. Uh, The first thing, Alan, I would like you to lay out the importance of having a crisis management plan in place at your club. Why is it so important? Well, most of us are reactionary. We we don't start off with what can happen and how am I going to address it. And I think more often than not, we get so – we're so caught up with the day-to-day activities that we don't have time. And it's only until we start experiencing – a few things going wrong that we have to address them, and then we realize that we have to bring our team in to help uh, build and develop on our plans. I like to call those "oh crap" moments. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, I try not to curse on this show, right? Um, I really use the S word in real life for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you can add it. I'm laughing at that. <laughs> Alan, do you find that many clubs that are operating? either have an outdated plan or, God forbid, no plan at all? The majority have no plan at all. Um, the I'm seeing more and more clubs that start to realize that we have to take these steps, and they don't have time to do it. And that's why, as a former club manager, I know how I can offer assistance to clubs, especially since I've been doing safety for over 19 years now. Mm. What are some of the most critical crisis management scenarios that clubs should make sure that they plan for? Well, the first thing every club should plan for is evacuating the club. Uh, If the fire alarm goes off, what happens is the employees are looking for guidance and the alarm goes off and everyone's looking around. Are we supposed to stay? Are we supposed to go? So the first thing to do would be to have a, a, a drill. 
and then evacuate the club, you know, set up the roll call area, determine uh, if everyone got out safely. Yeah. Are there any particular scenarios such as, you know, active shooters or hurricanes, tornadoes coming through the club? What are some of the what are some of the main things that clubs should start to consider when they're first developing a plan? I, I would start with right now, active shooter uh, workplace violence is uh, we're becoming more aware of what is going on. Uh, the there's a YouTube video that is run, hide, fight, and it's extraordinary. It was developed by the uh, city of Houston for Homeland Security, and it shows how it can happen. It's a five-minute video. I've used it many times in my presentations, and I use it with my clients on a regular basis. You know, the question is, what do you do? Uh, the video offers a lot of it, you know, as it says, run, hide, fight. So start with it. But one part of it is in order for clubs to get going with this, they realize, well, it, they think it can't happen here. It's happened in so many places that you have to realize it can happen. Right. So I would say to start with, you know, call your local uh, fire department, call your local police department and share a diagram of all the buildings. So the first responders, if all of a sudden you say, uh, we have an active shooter, the shooter is in uh, the accounting office. Well, I know where the accounting office is, but the people on the other end of the phone have no idea. Right. And so that would be the first step. And then, you know, where is the roll call area? If everyone gets out of the building, do they know where to go? Or are we going to be looking for victims that already got out and went elsewhere? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And so can you sort of, for people that haven't seen the video yet, maybe explain, you know, what are the, the, the three things there, run, hide, or fight? With run, if all of a sudden someone's coming in the front door and you see whether they have a gun or you hear the gun, it's go out the back door. If you can get out safely, do it. And leave your possessions behind. It's, I mean, this is stress in the video. Uh, if you have a coworker that's not going to go with you, well, sorry, you know, friend of mine, I'm leaving you behind because I'm concerned for my safety. I'd like to help you, but if you're not going, you know, that's uh, that's the fact. Uh, the hide, they say, if you can hide yourself, you know, close your office door, barricade the door. Don't forget to silence your cell phone. It's the worst thing is. Uh, to uh, all of a sudden you have the door locked and the phone goes off, okay? that's You know someone's going to come through the door. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, they talk about fight. Um, what tools do you have available? And the video shows a person grabbing a chair, someone else grabbing a fire extinguisher. And I smile personally looking at a fire extinguisher. You can use it twice if you're going to fight. Shoot <laughs> it at a person first and then throw it at them second. You sound like a regular so, Rambo, Alan. <laughs> well, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. However, I now that I do safety, I think differently sure. on every level. I, nowadays, I walk into a building, I'm already looking for my way out. Mm -hmm. And it's terrible to say it that way, but you know, I, I work with enough people that are in law enforcement. I've been at a full day, Homeland Security, um, uh, workplace, uh, I'll call it workplace violence, active shooter seminar. And here we have people from the FBI, uh, retired uh, FBI agents, CIA agents, the contractors, and they're telling us things that the average person has no idea of. And here's another whole part of the crisis management active shooter. Um, believe it or not, as, as you said, I, I help with OSHA compliance, but 
a fatality by a workplace violence has to be reported to OSHA. So if there's that. one more reason to start making your plan, that's a good reason for me. Right. Well, let's talk about some other situations that clubs might find themselves in. And I think this next one is something that's very common, especially here where I am in Florida, uh, tornadoes and hurricanes. Talk to me about what sorts of things clubs should do to prepare themselves for natural disasters like that. Uh, a lot of clubs in Florida are ahead of the curve uh, compared to clubs in the Northeast on hurricanes. And yes, we have, when it comes to a hurricane, uh, we know it's on the way. Uh, we may have three, four days. And I mean, you just recently saw what's going on was the other coast from where you live. But you took a look at how everyone's evacuating. You know, there are a lot of municipalities are changing what's being done um, for egress. And as everyone's going north out of Florida, they're turning uh uh, the the major thoroughfares around, so they have four or five lanes just going out of town, which is great. Mm -hmm. But what preparations do you have to do? Okay, you know, if someone's leaving town, you know, if you're evacuating, you have a chance to leave. You know, how much water you're taking? What about food? What about flashlights, batteries? You know, um, you know, first aid kits. You know, these are things that we think of for in. You know, I wouldn't say as an individual, but at clubs, we have most of these items. Right. But what's happening, you know, if you have to, uh, I'll say shelter in place as, as well as, you know, say it's a maintenance crew that has to stay behind. Uh, with um, Hurricane Sandy going through the, the northeast, uh, places like uh, New York City, New Jersey had no idea. They had storm surge. No one ever talks about storm surge. Mm -hmm. But what are you doing? One of them. Um, I know one instance where a member of a club went into the yacht club and they said they were going to stay on their boat. Wow. Well, do you allow members to ride out the storm on their boat? There's a question for every club manager with a yacht club. Mm -hmm. In this one instance, the, um, the employees had stayed on site. They were all of a sudden seeing the person on the boat, you know, flipping the lights on and off. And they thought they were, he was calling for help. So they took a, a vehicle out there in the middle of a storm to try and help the person. You know, it's a double-edged sword. I'm saying it this way. I'm thinking it this way. The difference between me being a safety person and me being a former club manager and being politically correct, wait a second. You know, I don't want to put my employees in jeopardy for a member that's doing something that shouldn't be allowed to begin with. So there's right. a big question for every club manager on that one. And then staying with, you know, the Northeast, uh, again, with Hurricane Sandy, what are the city clubs doing? You know, they don't get storms at this level with the amount of rain that were dropped. Are they cleaning out the roof drains or their scuppers? If they're not cleaned out, is the water running down the stair towers? Mm -hmm. So, and that's happened uh, to another club in, uh, in New York City. And then I think about, um, you know, what about clubs being a sanctuary? How many members can the club take because they have a backup generator? And what are they doing and what are the staff's responsibilities of all this? So what I'm hearing here is you should have some sort of a checklist of, of what to do and be prepared for. And then a rules and regulations or best practices for one of these disasters that actually hits. And then if this happens, here's what you should do or here's what the response should be. Am I hearing you right there, Alan? The answer is yes, and part of it is we don't have a checklist until we go through some of the obstacles. Sure. So it's talking with other club managers, you know, talking with uh, other safety experts, whether it's a person like me or whether it's one of uh, 
uh, the Department of Homeland Security, there's uh, uh, checklists are available from, um, uh, there's even a, uh, FEMA has uh, all sorts of material. Ready.gov is another website that has a lot of places where you can get ideas. Perfect, perfect. Well, the next one here on the list that I have is chemical spills. So all clubs to some degree have chemicals, whether it's being used as cleaning or if it's going out on your grass and your agronomy. Chemical spills do happen. They happen quite often. What happens when you have a chemical spill, Alan? I like using swimming pools as the classic example um, for chemicals in a workplace. And some of the most potent chemicals are, well, in the pool area, you have chlorine, you have muriatic acid, uh, and many other products that are incompatible with one another. And then you have young workers, you know, lifeguards that sometimes may be adding chemicals um, to the pool. And if all of a sudden you have a, uh, uh, someone has a, an accident, will be nice and phrase it that way, is in a bodily function accident, mm-hmm. um, you know, now we have to shock the pool and who's the person that's doing it? Um, you know, I, I take a look at using the the pool and what has happened at some clubs. You know, if all of a sudden a worker goes, an employee goes and adds chemical uh, to the pool, what if all of a sudden they add too much chemical and they're overwhelmed by the fumes? Now they're uh, unconscious and now a second person goes in and tries to rescue the first person. And first responders will tell you if you're not having the proper personal protective equipment, if you don't have a supplied air uh, respirator, there's just no way that uh, you can get a person out of the pool area. Um, and then I laugh, and it's not funny, but I walk into, if I'm touring clubs and I'm behind the scenes and I'm walking in the pool room, the number of times I walk in and I see a respirator inside the pool room hanging on a hook, it doesn't do any good there because by the person, the time the person gets it, they're already three or four breaths into the game. So taking that and then going the next step about what training does the staff have? You know, it's uh, uh, do you allow a, a teenager, they had chemicals compared to the pool director that may be a little more older and seasoned. Right. So, um, and that's just working. The, the part I just shared is, you know, working in the pool chemical room. What about the pool chemicals being delivered? And if all of a sudden they come in and they're bringing a 55-gallon uh, barrel of chlorine and they spill it, what are you going to do? You know, what are the evacuation plans? I mean, what equipment's needed to do that? Which way is the wind blowing? I mean, that's the first mm-hmm. thing the fire marshal is going to do because you have to evacuate. And uh, in some instances, it could be up to a half mile away with a, a large delivery of chlorine like that. Wow. I didn't know that. That's that's quite fascinating, really. Uh, so many things you just don't think about. Um, how about in terms of the uh, food and beverage department? What sort of concerns do you see in terms of food and food safety? I'm a former um, serve safe in- instructor. Um, so I did food safety education and training. Um, we don't know the source of a lot of our food. That is an obstacle. And I um, and at what temperatures cooked at and you know what can be done. Clubs have had food safety outbreaks, and um, what are you doing? How many clubs have a checklist that someone gives a call and said, I was at the club the other day, and I got sick from the food? Are we talking well, like E. coli and that sort of thing? When you, oh, it's, it's E. coli. There's all sorts of bacteria. There's other, you know, we, we can 
uh, go from E. coli, the toxoplasmosis, to um, we can pick salmonella, we can pick a barrel of other uh, flavors of the day. And there's there's a lot of concerns, everything from adulterated foods, a possibility, the, um, you know, chemicals in the food, there's another possibility of pesticides to uh, uh, intended adulterants. But the largest, and this wasn't tracked up until maybe 10 years ago, but the largest foodborne outbreak is norovirus, which I, I call the cruise ship disease. And basically what happens is it can be transferred by a, I'll say spittum, but if a person sneezes, that aerosolized um, vapor of coming out of our body, it lands on the surface and that is active for two days. So if someone sneezes on their hand, touches a doorknob, that doorknob is actually live with virus for two days. Wow. So, with yeah, exactly. So with that being said, what is the um, what is a club manager to do, or or you know, what is the safety team to do? I would recommend developing a checklist for the person that's at taking the phone calls. Uh, according to uh, the Serve Safe program, which is a recognized uh, program on foodborne illnesses, when two or more people call complaining of the same symptoms, that is what they would consider. And it's only now once it's confirmed by laboratory analysis, uh, that is considered a foodborne outbreak. So it's two or more confirmed by uh, illnesses confirmed by laboratory analysis. Well, laboratory analysis comes after the fact from uh, the samples being uh, uh, brought forth. But what's the club to do in the meantime? Are they going to isolate all the food? Are they going to get the menus from when it happened? You know, what's the uh, gestation time for a virus to build up? You know, what, uh, and I'm saying virus, it could be a bacteria, it could be a fungi, it could be so many other terms. But what are they doing to make sure the calls are going to the right person? Uh, are they, the first thing I'll say, don't admit fault, but also recognize that if you have a problem, if the calls are coming in left and right, we're investigating it. And with two or more calls in some locales, now it depends on your local health department, you have to call the health department and start the, um, uh, start the investigation. In some instances, and I've dealt with clubs where they've had a couple phone calls, and I will say, also ask if any employees are real. And some would say, why, why would I ask the employees? Because the employees are eating the same food in the club. Right. If it's a Mother's Day brunch and people are calling two days after brunch saying they're ill, check with your employees because we know darn well all the uh, club employees also ate that as well. That's a really good and point. And then uh, another thing to do at that point in time, if they are, uh, they are ill, shut the club down. You know, and then start your investigation. No need to bring any more people in if something is potentially wrong and you have uh, you, you might as well be ahead of the curve by shutting it down. Yeah, exactly. Do you recommend that every club has some sort of spokesperson or a PR person like a lot of other corporations have? Uh, the hardest thing is setting it up. Who is the right person to be the club spokesperson? Mm -hmm. Is it the club president? Well, if the club president's changing every year, your club president this year might be the best spokesperson in the world. And next year, the person is, um, I'll say camera shy, you know, so 
you don't know who the spokesperson is. You have to, the hardest part, and you know, as a former club manager, I will admit, I did not have talking points for various concerns. We're so reactionary, we have to build and develop. Now, a, a senior manager, one that's been around for a lot of years, that's gone through a couple obstacles, he might be the natural person to be the club spokesperson. But an, another parallel to this is who is allowed to talk to the press? You know, I, I shared a little bit of the scenario with the, the spill of the chemicals. Um, there's one instance where this happened. I read about it in the paper. I got a, 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 the article was sent to me. Do you want a lifeguard talking to the press? Or are you going to have a person that has knowledge on what to do? Right. Um, so, you know, I say this, it's, uh, does anyone have television experience? Does anyone have radio experience? If the press shows up, they're showing up on mass. So how are you going to address what they're doing? And there's no are second takes at, in that scenario well, either, is there? <laughs> very, very well phrased. Yeah. Um, so do you request all their questions uh, uh, in advance and you will answer them? I mean, that's one way for email. We can use it nowadays. But if they're on the phone, do you have a script in front of you? If they're in front of you, you know, what are you doing? How are you going to address it? Uh, and if you don't know something, first rule is don't say no comment. Say, let me let me get back to you on that. And then make sure you do follow up. Right. Yeah, that's really good advice. I always say that to people um, who are applying for a job or something. <laughs> don't, ever, don't ever say I don't know the answer or something. Uh, it's always I'll get back to you. So that works. That's a, it's a good rule of thumb in a lot of ways for sure. Um, Definitely. Alan, as we mentioned in your bio, you're quite prolific. And in a recent article that I read that you wrote in Club Director, you talked about spotting trends and learning from past mistakes by looking at past injuries and accidents that occurred at clubs. Can you recap that for us and kind of give us a little bit more detail about that? Definitely. It's uh, If you're not looking, well, uh, there's two parts to this answer, and I'll start with the newest. Uh, uh, the, before I get touch on the, the article, there is right now, there's new regulations coming down from OSHA that clubs with 250 or more employees, that's 250 or more employees, will now have to submit their OSHA 300A logs to OSHA. And that's going to be starting next year. OSHA will be looking at all the injuries and illnesses that have occurred at the club that are on your OSHA 300A log. If these numbers are high, and that's what OSHA will perceive, um, they can actually shame you into compliance, but they're going to be posting this on their website. So it's not that clubs want to have their dirty laundry aired, but you better be actively looking at your injuries and illnesses. So now going back to what I wrote for club director, when I walk into any club, I ask to take a look at the, a five-year uh, record of their injuries and illnesses. And that's the OSHA 300 log and the OSHA 300A log, which is a summary. I want to know what's happening. If I see knife cuts uh, that are occurring, you know, five, 10, one year in the kitchen, wait a second, do you have a knife safety training program? If I see there's um, slips, trips, and falls, and they're all occurring at the loading dock, well, what's wrong at the loading dock? So I look for trends. <coughs> Excuse me. So when I'm out there, you know, what's happening? Is there something happening in the ground department every September? Is there something, you know, it's because we're uh, – uh, we have large pallets of some product coming in and we're using it and putting it on the, the greens. 
What about the tennis uh, area? If all of a sudden every May they're having injuries because they have people picking up the, the top dressing, it's another approach. So look at what's happening, where it's happening, when it's happening. Another thing, you might have injuries every Monday uh, in the summertime to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, to an employee. You know, what are you doing for that? It's, um, um, and then a whole nother, uh, uh, another trend I look at is if all of a sudden I'm seeing a spate of injuries for the non-English speaking employees and we're using, you know, their last name, the figure it, it doesn't matter if it's of South American descent or uh, it could be of uh, 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 Middle Eastern area. The If you're not training in a language employees can understand and injuries are occurring, you have to change what you're doing. A great point, Alan. Absolutely. What does it cost to actually put a plan together? If you've never had a plan in place, you've got an outdated plan, what does something like this actually cost? Um, it depends on how active you want to be developing your plan. It's uh, I have told club managers that you could do it yourself, uh, but do you have the time to do it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have worked with, there's some clubs that I work with every year that they bring me in to do a simulated OSHA site tour. Um, we're, when I walk in the door, the first thing I do with this one club, we pull the alarm. The staff sees me walking in the door. They know they're going to their designated roll call area. If they don't see me and the alarm goes off, they still know they're going to it. So that's one part. To develop a plan and to have an outside consultant come in, it depends on what the consultant's doing. If For me, if I'm doing a city club, it could be a two to $4,000 process. Um, for a country club, it could be that. It could be more depending on what we're, uh, what areas are being involved. Uh, and I heard the, I heard a story of one club, a city club in, uh, uh, doesn't matter where, but uh, they were a large building, and they brought an outside consultant in with one of the top, uh, um, I'll say, consulting firms for that area. And they had a six-figure bill. I said, wow, wow. you could have had me for a lot less than that. <laughs> well, I think that. You know, two to four or five thousand. That to me sounds like such a bargain when you compare to when a disaster hits and you make it a even bigger disaster. It could be a real financial disaster for a club. So if you don't have a plan in place, I think. Well, and that's that's another thing to share. What has happened this past year? OSHA raised their fines by eighty percent. Um, so in the past, if you had um, uh, I'll, I'll say a willful violation or a repeat violation. The maximum uh, fine per incident years ago was seventy thousand dollars. That now has gone up to one hundred and twenty-six thousand dollars per incident. Mm-hmm. Um, so OSHA, uh, if OSHA walks in the door, there can be some significant fines. Uh, I just saw a club uh, recently uh, did receive a fine at one of the old. Uh, uh, standard, but they um, they hadn't maintained their uh, record keeping log, which is the OSHA log I just mentioned on injuries and illnesses. And then they didn't have uh, an employee did not have uh, personal protective equipment. The club was fined ten thousand dollars for those two, five thousand each for those two items. Wow, that, that's really wild. Well, mm-hmm. Alan, how do folks actually get in touch with you? How do they work with you and start to develop one of these plans if they don't have one or if they need to update theirs? Well, I thank you, Gabe, for that. Uh, my my club, my website, my well, my club, my business is Club Safety Solutions. 
So they can reach me through my website, uh, clubsafetysolutions.com. Uh, so that would be a way, or they can uh, uh, reach out and uh, uh, get me uh, via phone, which is area code 716-565-9122. Awesome, Alan. And last question for you. It's a question I ask all my guests when they're on this show. You've probably been to quite a few clubs around the country, maybe even around the world. For you, is there one club that everyone just needs to see? Is there something special about it, unique? Is there one club out there for you that people need to see before they die? Dave, there's so many clubs, and so many clubs have great attributes. Um, to, you know, I, I'm almost at the level to pick one club per city, okay? <laughs> um, the, 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 and I will say this, the, the largest club I've, I've been to – uh, by size of property um, is Hageman Reserve down in Texas, which is 14,000 acres. Uh, but the, the largest volume club by revenue um, is in Key Largo, and that's Ocean Reef. So I'll give you two clubs, and uh, I could probably give you 10 city clubs to see some best practices you know, from Philadelphia to California. So um, uh, I'll stop there because I know I can go on and start naming clubs with <laughs> great chefs and great employees and great teams. So there's so many out there. Gotcha. Well, I really appreciate that, Alan. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I do want to invite listeners once again to check out Alan's website, which is clubsafetysolutions.com. Alan, thanks so much for being on Private Club Radio with me today. Gabe, thank you. My pleasure. So many things that I think a lot of us have never even considered right there. It's really important. I'm glad Alan was here to share that with us. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show, folks. I hope to see you back here on Monday. And until then, here's to your membership success. Just because this round is over doesn't mean you can't enjoy the 19th hole. Check out privateclubradio.com for more. Private Club Radio is brought to you by the Private Club Agency, the premier marketing and consulting firm dedicated to helping clubs increase and retain their membership. Visit privateclubagency.com to learn more.